BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome back to the, another episode of the Sixty Cents Podcast. I'm Lucas. I got Chris and Jonathan here. Guys, it's not a good night for Sixers fans, is it? No, that was brutal. Yeah, not not the best night, no. no clearly, the, the Milwaukee Bucks wanted to make a statement, and the Sixers, after a long road trip, just was not ready for it. Uh, but let's go ahead, and we're going to talk about before we get into that Bucks game, let's first talk re- rehash the Raptors game real quick. Yeah, slightly more positive notes. So the Sixers on Friday night beat the Raptors 117-110. It is worth noting that we had a 20-point lead at halftime, so kind of closer than it probably should have been. But let's start with the starters. Chris, what were your thoughts? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think the main standout in this game was probably James, who had 23 points and 11 assists, hit three of his six from deep, nine of 14 from the field, one of his best games lately, quite efficient, looked really good against a defensive team that is built to contain players like him. Uh, uh, Toronto obviously hasn't been up to par this year, um, relative to expectations at least, but they're a good defensive team, and... Harden played really well, so I thought that was a very positive thing. Um, Joel, nothing particularly special by his extremely high standards, but he still had 25 and 12 on 13 shots, which for most players in the league is a pretty amazing game. So, Chris, is it just me, or does it seem like in this game he was kind of just coasting? Like, I, I feel like that injury is bothering him, and he was just kind of like out there, you know, like he, he wasn't putting his best foot forward, literally. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't disagree. Um, we were talking not that long ago about that four-game losing streak from Denver where it felt like they were coasting. I think we've maybe reached that point with the Sixers where they're a little banged up. They're kind of locked into the three-seed at this point. Maybe they aren't putting all their effort forward every night, um, which is understandable, probably the right move in, in the long run. 
Uh, so, yeah, I think we've reached that point in the season. We're, we're getting pretty late into it here. But, yeah, I mean, those are the two obvious standouts. Pretty quiet game for Tyrese, only 13 points on eight shots. And, obviously, Melton starting in, in Tobias's place what was a notable thing because of the injury, and he, he played well, per usual. Had a great defensive game. Yeah, look, I mean, P.J. Tucker had three threes. That's kind of a big thing for him. Um, like I said before, I felt like Joel, you know, he's probably – He's probably trying to conserve himself. He, he's clearly not 100% health-wise. Showed in this game, despite having a really efficient game scoring, he still had top five turnovers. And 25 points, like you said, great for most players. Joel, underperforming. You know, I was really expecting more of Maxi, but I guess there was really not a need for him to really go all-out scoring-wise. But I felt like this is a game, like this type of matchup is the type of matchup he thrives on. Um yeah. What about the bench, Chris? Yeah, um, pretty solid performance all around. I think the obvious standout here is Paul Reed, per usual. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think it'll be interesting as we get closer to the playoffs and into the playoffs, the kind of battle for that last bench spot or two in the rotation between Shake, George, and House. Um, they all played around... 11 to 15 minutes in this game. It'll be interesting to see which of those guys stick around in the playoffs. Cause not all three of them are going to be getting regular minutes when, you know, when rubber meets the road. So that'll, that'll be an interesting thing to monitor. Um, yeah. I mean, Paul continues to look really good. I, I hope we see him in the playoffs. There's been a lot of talk about PJ as a small ball five. Those lineups have had, pretty mixed results this year. And I, I think PJ is still a tremendous defender when he puts his mind to it, but he's not always best deployed as, as a center. He's really good against wings. He's switchable. I, I don't know if your best use of him defensively is at the five, because you're losing a lot of rim protection in those lineups. Teams that are bigger like Milwaukee are, are going to take advantage of that. So I, I'm hoping we see Paul Reed in the playoffs. He continues to play really well. Yeah, no, I, I got to agree. Paul Reed really stood out. And it's not just the 11 points, six rebounds, one block, but it's the way that his chemistry with James Harden was build, building, you know, at the beginning of the season, Doc gave us the reason the, that Paul Reed wasn't reading is because him and James Harden didn't have much chemistry. We saw it in this game, uh, you know, give and go with Paul Reed and James Harden and picking roles. You know, James is finding Paul in his spots. Paul's willing screener and passer and finisher. It's 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 a beautiful growth in both of their in their chemistry, and it's paying off big di- dividends. I agree with you guys. I think the bench will be interesting. They were talking about that on Philly Sports Radio too about how Doc's gonna do it when it comes to playoff time. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see. But speaking of playoffs. Toronto is currently sitting in the nine seed. They're 39 and 39, 500 record tied with the Hawks for the eight spot, but behind them based on tie break. So how do you guys rate Toronto as a playoff threat? Um, I mean, pretty close to zero at this point. They've had a really <laughs> rough season. I mean, like they're going to be like the seven or eight seed at best. They're going to play either Milwaukee or Boston. They're not beating either one of those teams. I, I don't even know if they're going to steal more than a game off of either one of those teams. Pascal is an amazing like star level player. They they have the talent. They're a tremendous defensive team when everything's clicking. 
Jakob Pertl was a major upgrade at center. Like, they have the talent on paper. Fred Van Vliet just had a 20-point, 20-assist game. It's not like they lack talent or even experience. They've been to the playoffs for the past half decade now. This, this is an experienced team. They know how to play together. So, in theory, they should be much more than that. But it, it just hasn't happened this year. We saw last postseason against Philly that the offense just really isn't potent enough in, in the playoffs. They don't have enough shooting. They don't have enough scoring on the perimeter. So I, I really don't think they're going to do anything of note in the playoffs. I'd happily be proven wrong. It'd be awesome if they took Boston out for, for Philly's sake. But uh, I would not count on it happening. Yeah, look. I, I'm I'm gonna give on a scale of one to ten, I give them about a two or a three. The matchups that they're gonna end up facing in the playoffs, they're not gonna win. Could they give both of them like will it be more than five games, five or six games? Probably not, but they'll be a tough five five or six games. And you know, we had to walk away with an injury. I'm not wishing an injury on anybody, but it's gonna be a physical series and people might get bumped and bruised a little bit which could certainly help the Sixers in the second round against Boston. Um, Look, their roster balance is the real issue here. Um, They have three big men that they usually have come off the bench at all times. Um, And they're starting five. I mean, I don't know exactly where Gary Trent Jr. is. I think he's injured. But even if you have him back in there, you still have a really weird situation. I think... Look, I know OG Ananobi is good, but I'd seriously consider trading him this offseason just to get more roster balance, more shooting. You need that. You need more shooting. So unless Scotty Barnes really like becomes a sniper from downtown, which seems unlike like the raw the starting five is good defensively. They're great defensively. It's just the the fit is not there. And I don't know exactly how you get the fit there. Yeah, and there was a lot of talk about OG trade at the trade deadline, so mm-hmm. maybe that is something they look into um, come the offseason. I just wanted a quick take from you guys before we move on from this game. Did you guys see that Nick Nurse said, like, we'll see where I'm at or something in his yeah. pregame? I think it was yeah. pregame presser. Yeah, he's uh, he's in an extension year. or he Actually, no, I think he's going to be, you know, unsigned after this season. And I don't think he's happy there. I don't think yeah, but it just seemed like real weird, especially the timing. Like when he said it, I was like, wait, are they not in the playoff picture? And then they are like, they clearly are. It seemed like really out of right field. I think think he doesn't like the roster construction or, and how the front office has been handling it. And I think from what I've been hearing, this is just what I've been hearing around, you know, commentators say, I don't think like the, the locker room has been the easiest to deal with this year either. So Maybe he's just kind of done with it. And, you know, he would get a job immediately. You know, Philly flames out. You know, Philly would certainly call. And there's probably another handful of teams that would be interested as well. Yeah, he took over yeah. coach of the year from, uh, wasn't it the Pistons coach? Like the Raptors fired. Yeah, yeah. yeah coach of the year for Nick Nurse. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think he's a good coach. Obviously, he's had a lot of success there, but it does seem like the vibes are pretty bad around that team at the moment. Like you said, Lucas, there's been a lot of noise about the locker room and players maybe being not too happy with Nurse this season. And, you know, NBA head coach can be a pretty taxing job. We all know Brett Brown took a few years off before getting back into things. Sometimes guys just want to take a step back and recalibrate. There's nothing wrong with that. 
but it definitely does feel like maybe his time in, in Toronto is coming to an end here. Yeah, that that's what it sounded like. All right, well, I think we avoided a little a little bit of time for talking about Bucks Sixers. So Lucas, we'll start with you. We lost tonight 117-104. That score kinda doesn't imply how bad it was at points. So I'll just why don't you go and what do you think about the starters? What did I think about the starters? <sighs> Where do I start? Do I start with James Harden's bad body language? The fact that he had almost as many turnovers as assists, five uh, five turnovers over six assists. Do I talk about just the poor overall defense? Uh, P.J. Tucker got cooked multiple times. It just the, the overall defensive effort, just like, I mean, look, the, uh, there's no denying that the Bucks got hot, but then they cooled down, and, like, we were doing okay for a while, and then they got hot again. And most of that is like not all of it's on the starters, but like the good majority of that has to be, you know, pushed on the starters here. Joel had a solid game, 28 and nine and five, but it wasn't the best. Tobias Harris was a non-factor, guys. You know, he had two uh, two blocks and a steal, but only six points, 28 minutes on six shots. You need more. And like Tyrese Maxey was the only, you know, shining spot here. You know, with 29 points and four rebounds, but it was too not enough. I mean, look, the defense was horrendous and the Sixers weren't ready. And you saw that in the first quarter with, you know, Milwaukee just going on a tear. Yeah, um, pretty, pretty rough night all around. Uh, You mentioned Tyrese being the lone bright spot, really. They mentioned it on the broadcast that he's had a lot of success against Milwaukee this season. So that's kind of a point of optimism looking forward to a potential playoff matchup. But um, yeah, Embiid, not not his best night, took 25 shots to get to 28 points. That's just not what we're used to out of him this year. And James, James was quite bad. Uh, it just does not look quite himself lately. I know we just talked about his great game against Toronto and I I'm not like overly concerned about him and in, in the grand scheme of things. Again, I think there is some level of coasting going on here at this point these year, but I clearly they wanted to win this game. They had a chance in that third quarter. I, I think what really cooked the Sixers was doc. I mean, I mean, Joel picking up four fouls and sitting that into the third quarter and as long as he did in the fourth quarter, is really what put this game out of reach. Like Doc's management of foul trouble has never been that great. I, I understand the idea, but I mean, the whole concern about a guy fouling out is that he's not going to play a certain amount of minutes. But if you just take him out of the game for eight minutes, anyways, then you're. What's the point? Like, like you got to let him play through that and try to try to avoid picking up five and six. Uh, so that's really, I think, what screwed the Sixers was just not playing a bead in that important stretch. But, uh, yeah, James has to be better in the in these matchups. Milwaukee is a tough team with a lot of good defenders who can play physical with James at the point of attack. And if if we do run into Milwaukee in the playoffs, that's going to be something to watch, especially if James isn't quite at 100% physically. But, yeah, I, I mean, Tyrese was certainly a bright spot. Hit six or seven of his threes, which is pretty darn impressive. Had 29 points, which was a team high. He deserves a ton of praise. But the rest of the starters were pretty underwhelming overall. Yeah, Lucas, how about the bench? 
I mean, if Daniel House is your high scorer, it's probably not a good night. I mean, look, Paul Reed, for the most part, was, you know, okay. Like, he had 18, 8 points, 10 rebounds, 5 offensive rebounds. Um, House had 10 points in 9 minutes. But, like, guys like McDaniels, Niang, uh, Melton didn't really show up at all. And you need those guys in order to win these type of games. The Sixers ended up losing by, what was it, uh, 13? There were times that this bench unit just could not, it couldn't handle it. And it's, it's not good. It was not a good look against a potential, you know, Eastern Conference Finals matchup. And like I said, it's not good if Daniel House is your leading scorer off the bench. Yeah, no, I mean, McDaniels, Niang, and Melton are, in theory, like your top three guys off the bench, and they all pretty much no-showed, so that that's not great. Paul Paul brought a lot of effort and, you know, 10 rebounds, played some good defense on Giannis at, at certain points. Like, he deserves a ton of credit. Five offensive rebounds. Um, so, Paul Paul was a good standout. Daniel House is really good in his nine minutes, um, some of which came in garbage time, though. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But, yeah, overall, a pretty poor performance from the bench. And, again, just a game where Sixers didn't really have it for most of it. That first half was pretty brutal. They made that run in the second quarter, or in the, pardon me, the third quarter. But, you know, as soon as Joel got that fourth foul and Doc made that decision to pull him, that was pretty much all she wrote. That So, not a fun game. The kind of game that really makes you reconsider all the hype about Philly being on Milwaukee and Boston's level, you know, I don't think we should take away too much from one game, but the, the Bucks looked considerably better. So there, there's definitely some reason for concern. Yeah, well, before we move on from this game, the MVP race, I think, should be discussed. Joel Embiid still is the favorite, um, and Jokic, it seems like a two-person race. But, I mean, watching tonight's game, lots of recent games, Giannis is the best player on the best team in the NBA right now. So why is like why do you guys think he's so far behind? And and who do you think came out of this game looking more like the MVP frontrunner? Well, I don't think is he's as far as behind as everybody thinks he is. I mean, look, of course, like Joel and Jokic are the front runners, but at the same time, you look at his stats; he's still having MVP caliber season. It's just not quite as historic as the other two guys. And maybe that's why he's not in the conversation. But there's a clear tier of like one, two tier, Giannis tier. He's like solidly, you know, and I don't even know if they you can really separate Giannis from these other two guys. Um, in this game, I mean, look, the Sixers got blown. There were times where the Sixers were getting blown out. Uh, Joel still looks like he's having a little bit of pain in that foot at times. So I, I'm going to give it to Giannis. I think he looked like the MVP of this game anyway. I'm not sure if he it really affects the race, but he looked better in this game. Yeah, I mean, just objectively across the board, Giannis was better in just about every respect tonight. Um, you know, he was more efficient, more points, more rebounds, more assists. Like, there's really no... No argument that Embiid played better. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you, Lucas. I don't think it's going to have a huge impact on the race in terms of Giannis. I, I think he's going to finish third. That seems to be the direction we're trending. But 
I, I think we've reached the point where there's really no wrong answer between the top three that you mentioned. There's a very credible case for Giannis as the best player probably in the NBA, the best player on the best team. And statistically, I mean, he's right in line with those guys. It's, it's There's not a big gap at all, if any. So Giannis definitely has a case, and it's kind of interesting that it has boiled down to Joel and Jokic in a bit of a two-man race again, because I, I do think Giannis is right in the mix. But uh, as far as Joel, I, I mean, losing a battle to Giannis, his scoring has been down the past week or so since he, he sat the Denver game. It, it has not been the best week for, for Joel's MVP campaign, fair or not. Like, just the optics of this week have been pretty bad. And we all saw the straw poll from ESPN. Joel edged out Jokic by two points. He lost the first place vote total, 42 to 40. I I don't want to say we're like trending towards Jokic winning, but it definitely feels like that might be the outcome we're heading for, especially if Joel closes the year kind of quietly, which is what it feels like he's doing right now. And I, I believe, Joel, that he's more focused on the playoffs in that he might be willing to take a bit, you know, take it in easy a little bit here down the stretch. But I don't know. It it's, hasn't been the best week for his MVP campaign overall. Yeah, I know. I'm cautiously optimistic that he is going to get it, but you do never know. But let's switch topics a little bit. There is big news in the NBA. So the there was a potential that there could be a work stoppage, but thankfully there is not as of early Saturday morning, the NBA and the NBA PA agreed on a new seven year uh, collective bargaining agreement. I think there's an opt out after the sixth year, but essentially takes us through 2030. So we'll go through a few just high level things and then we can talk about our favorites, our least favorite things, but there's a lot in here. Um, There's, some changes to the salary cap for high spending teams. There is load management tied to um, year-end awards. There's going to be a new in-season tournament, which I know Adam Silver has essentially been pushing since he was elected. Um, a change in upper limits for contract extensions. And also there will be three two-way contracts as opposed to two. And there's a few other things in here as well, but I just want to go around the horn, start with Chris. What's your favorite thing that came out of this agreement? Yeah, uh, my favorite thing is the uh, positionless All-NBA teams. I think that's great. It's way past time for that to be the case. And we're going to end up with fewer years like last season and the season before where your second place MVP vote getter is on second team All-NBA for no particularly solid reason. Um so I thought that was really good. It obviously doesn't go into effect this year. So the loser of the Embiid-Jokic MVP battle is likely going to be second team still, which is unfortunate. But we are, we've reached the end of that era, which is I think is a positive development. Yeah, for me, I like having another two-way contract. I wish they would have taken it a step further and added like a no experience limit to it. But having three three-way contracts, especially for rebuilding teams or teams that are having injury issues, you have 18 guys on the roster now that you can call on. And like, if we had that, then maybe we don't waive uh, either Julian Champagne, who's now in the Spurs rotation, or maybe we don't waive uh, Michael Foster Jr., who's played well for the Blue Coats this year. 
yeah, yeah, so that's just one thing that I like. No, I like that too, Lucas. I thought that was kind of a little bit under the radar in um, what was negotiated, but that was probably my favorite as well. So, Chris, what was one thing that you didn't like from the CBA? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't claim to be like a CBA or financial expert, but a lot of these new rules basically seem to be penalizing the teams that are willing to spend to win, which I think is unfortunate because, I don't know, every NBA owner is a billionaire. They all have the ability to, to spend big if they want to and to field winners, really, if they want to, and penalizing the teams like Golden State who have been willing to go way over the tax to field a championship contender every year doesn't really feel like the right move to me. Um, maybe it balances the playing field. Maybe it doesn't. It's also going to affect a lot of veteran players who aren't going to be able to sign with contenders now on the buyout market or in free agency because those teams are going to be restricted as far as who they can sign and trade for. I, I don't know if I like that. We'll wait and see. Like We'll have to see the long-term ramifications here. I'm willing to be proven wrong, but it, it does seem like we're kind of penalizing the teams who are who are like trying the hardest to win, and I, I don't like that very much. That That's a good one, and I almost went with it, but instead I'm going to go with the fact like, look, I don't when it comes to player endorsements and stuff and, and like they talked about part of this and this wasn't in the ESPN part article, but I saw it was either Shams or Woj that tweeted about the fact that they can now invest within the teams. I think that's great. But what I don't like is making like being able to like advertise not so much with marijuana co- companies. That's that's the that's that's legal in some states now, and I'm not going to really give my opinion on that. But what I what I don't like is being able to endorse gambling. I think that's a dangerous thing there because, you know, if you're, you know, endorsing a particular ga- gambling company or, you know, betting company, that could be a conflict of interest, in my opinion. But that's that's just me. Yeah, yeah I, I no, think I, that's fair. Um, yeah, sorry, I agree John. With that. No, I was just going to say I agree with that. Um, yeah, I, I mean, another thing just to to pile on here is the uh, I, I don't really love the 65 game minimum for awards that, that I don't love that because that just I, I looking at the guys well, I kid. absolutely love that I, I, I think I, maybe, I think I think 60 was probably a better number but 65 I'm not going to complain about it either I get the yeah, point I think it, it's like Chris, an incentive Lu- I, I get yeah, that maybe it's like Lucas is right guys. I just think there has to be some limit like that, like guys are taking off way too many games, and I think that they needed to put that in as a like. I, I thought that was a no brainer. I I think it's like addressing a symptom and not the root cause. Like like the issue is that they have to play eighty two games in the regular season, and mm-hmm. it's really compressed. Like I would rather us trim the number of regular season games to like seventy two or sixty five or whatever. I think that would be better for quality of games and guys not there resting was, as much. There, there, there would still be resting going on. Like, it's not getting yeah, rid of Yeah, and they are still going to be resting going on with a 65-game limit. So but, you're not but, really not, eliminating the whole problem. But but it's not it's not as bad as it was. It's not going to be as bad as it was. I think but Chris, I would say I would say I think your idea is obviously the best of shortening the season, but that's never going to happen. Like, it's just no. not. So, of course, it, since it's not going to happen, I kind of like this. Like, I don't think that players should be awarded, like, these year-end awards unless they played. I mean, what's that? I think it's, like, 79% of the season. That's not too much to ask. So, 
Sure, but like you look at the list of names this year who would be ineligible. It's like you wouldn't be able to vote Steph, Dame Lillard, maybe even Giannis. Like those guys are on the very edge there, if not already out of contention. James, so a lot of really I'm great fine players with that. just aren't going to be fine able with that. To yeah, I'm okay all with NBA. that. I, I don't know. And all NBA does affect contract status for a lot of these guys. So like, I, again, it's an okay, incentive, but, but I, I don't love it. Yeah. Like, I, I think, and they did say that there are, you know, there are some conditions uh, that come with some conditions. Like, I'm sure, like, maybe maybe there's exceptions to this that we can, that they'll consider. But, like, for the most part, um, I, I, I don't hate this. Chris, the All-NBA that it affects, like, the contracts that it's going to affect for players that make All-NBA or don't make All-NBA are the players who are making, like, hundreds of millions of dollars so i'm sorry that i don't feel bad that someone's going to make like john morant will make 60 million dollars less on a 190 million dollar deal or like a 240 yeah i mean that's fair all these guys are obviously going to be just fine but i i don't know it it wasn't my favorite mainly just because i think there are a lot of guys who are going to play 60 games a year who will deserve all nba more than a guy who barely scratched his way to 66 and was just significantly worse so I, that's my that's real right. issue beyond the financial stuff is I just well, don't. And, that, and that's why I said 60 games versus 65. I think 65 is kind of a high mark. It, yeah, it just feels very arbitrary. And I, I don't love it for that reason, really, more than anything else. Yeah, yeah I, I think there just had to be a cut off, too, just in general to help media try to differentiate a little bit. Why not let the yeah. media like make their own decisions and differentiate themselves? I don't really see the issue with that. There's not a council of media members. These are just random guys. They don't like. I know. Let each guy make his own decision. I don't. I don't see the issue there. <sighs> All right. I don't well, know. Well, uh, I'll say one thing. I wouldn't say this is my least favorite, but um, I'm concerned with how the in to- in season tournament's going to work. I think Adam Silver wants it to be like European soccer, and I think that is a high bar to reach and to convince players that have never had like random regular season games are going to have so much more meeting. Um, I think it could be good. I'm just concerned, and I don't know that the first year will be great, but we will see what comes of that. I mean, uh, look, I think the, the, the playing tournament would be good, and now like it's like a normal part. I, I think this will be okay, given time and given time to work out the kinks. That's fair. All right, so lastly, what's one thing that you wish was or wasn't in it in the CBA contract? I uh, I wish the 65-game uh, limit wasn't in the CBA contract. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> okay. I, again, honestly, I'm, I'm not a super huge CBA guy. I, it's not something that I have really done the deep dive into personally so i don't really know if i have like a, a thoughtful answer on this I, I need to do more research into it still but yeah i again those those couple that i mentioned I, I just really don't like the general you know motivating factors behind them so i i'll double back to those uh you know i almost said the age limit but honestly, my bigger issue, and I don't even know if this is CBA related, but I wanted to have like a clause opening up the room for two more expansion teams. I, I would really like to have more expand, uh, two more expansion teams, preferably in Seattle, Las Vegas. Um, yeah. 
Though I think if I had to guess, it's I don't I think Mexico City could be up for one. We'll see. But. It, it's definitely gonna happen, and it's definitely gonna be Vegas and Seattle. <laughs> I well, I yeah, Seattle Seattle, win, Seattle needs a team. It. I well I mean look they put a G League team in Mexico City for a reason, and they actually have really good like economics going on there. Um, that being sure. said, like I said, we'll just have to wait and see. But yeah, I wish there was some kind of type of like built-in clause saying within the next couple of years we'll have a uh, an expansion team or two. Yeah, well, Lucas, I'll take the age one for you. I, um, yeah, I think they should have got rid of the one and done. I mean, I think was it LeBron's year was like the last year? It was like two thousand three no. or something? No, no, no two thousand four. Dwight's uh, Dwight's rookie season. Okay, so I was watching the two thousand three McDonald's All American game, not recently, but like relatively recently and the amount of players that were declaring for the NBA draft, like in that, that you have never heard of was quite concerning. So like, I understand why the one and done may have been put in place, but I do think it's just restriction of trade. And that if these kids want to attempt to go, whether it is smart or not, they should have the ability to do that. So, um, yeah, I kind of, I, when they said they dropped that, I think like Thursday night, they were like, that's no longer in discussion. I, I kind of wish that they, just drop that rule. Well, you know why they didn't do it. And the reason why, from what I've understand, listening to like Brian Winhorst, Zach Lowe is because the NBA is willing to drop the age, but they want to ha- allow all 30 teams access to these kids, medical records and play agents, keep medical reg- records away from certain teams, teams that they don't want their kids drafted to. So that's, I think the biggest hookup of why this didn't happen. And the fact that that's the reason is even more ridiculous. It's, it's a weird, you know what agents drafting. It's all weird, man. I'm not going to get too much into that's Chris's area, but let's go ahead and get to the main thing about drafted players. Cause we're going to talk about the main ones that just got drafted last summer. Yes. We are continuing award season with our ballots tonight for all rookie teams. So we'll go honorable mention, second team, and first team, and we will start with you, Lucas. The honorable mention, I have about six players on this. This was hard for me because I'll tell you what, the first play, the hardest player that I had to take off of this was probably Shannon Sharp, Shaden Sharp. He, he was almost on my second team. Uh, he was on my honorable mentions, A.J. Griffin, Jalen Hardy for his second half, Mark Williams, he was pretty good, just didn't play enough. Jalen Durand looked pretty good. And last but not least is Malikai Bronholm. He's on the Spurs. He's he's putting up decent numbers, just not the most efficient. But he's he's shown flashes this year. Yeah, um, those are good names. My my five, I started with Malachi Bronholm from San Antonio. Uh Terry Eason from Houston has had some really impressive flashes. He's one of my favorite prospects from this draft. Um, AJ Griffin. This, this is your honorable mention, right? Yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Okay. AJ Griffin also on that list. Jalen Williams, J A Y L I N, the other Jalen Williams from OKC is on my list, and Mark Williams from Charlotte. Okay. Yeah, we gotta. We all have similar honorable mentions. So I had Shaden Sharp. Mark Williams, Tari Eason, AJ Griffin, and Jeremy Sochan. All right, so Lucas, second team. Yeah. All right, so my second team, Keegan Murray, Jeremy Shohan, 
Tori Eason. I think Tori Eason's actually a really good defender, and his offense is solid enough as a rookie that I think it earned him uh, all-rookie all second team. And then Andrew Nemhard. Nice. Um, I have Jalen Duran from Detroit, Jabari sorry, Smith sorry. Jr. Sorry, sorry. I forgot Jabari Smith Jr., but he barely made it. I, I don't feel good about having him on there. Yeah, he, he's definitely on the bubble. Um, but Jalen Duran, Jabari Smith Jr., uh, Jeremy Sohan from San Antonio, and then the Pacers guys, Andrew Nemhard and Benedict Matherin, round out my second team. He's on your – Matherin's on your se- – Yeah. yeah. I, why? Why? He's the second leading scorer among rookies. He is. And he's not been super inefficient either. He's been really good. So why is he on the second team? Because I think there have been five better rookies. <laughs> I knew that. <laughs> I, okay. I'm interested now to see who you have ahead of him. All right. I'm so confident my second, in all five of my guys. My second team is Jalen Duran, Jabari Smith Jr., Jaden Ivey, Andrew Nemhard. And I went out. I went out on a. I, that's not going to be the one that's going to get raised the eyebrows. The last one I went out was Christian Braun of the Nuggets. Heck yeah. You know what? He's not a bad option. He almost made my honorable mention. Okay. I don't hate it. I think he's I think he's playing a significant role for the one seed in the West, and I love love the way he plays the game. No, no, Lucas, no it's, not a, it's not a bad choice. Time out. Lucas, did you express surprise about Jaden Ivey being on second team? Yes, I yeah. did. As in a good or like bad he, way. As like he shouldn't be on there at all? No, he should be on the first team. Oh, well, okay. I think there's five, as Chris said, I think there's five better players. All right. Interesting. Okay. Well, here are, here's my f- first team all rookie. Paulo Bencaro, Benedict Matherin, Jalen Williams, B, uh, J-Dub, Jaden Ivey, and Walker Kessler. Solid. Um, I have Jaden Ivey, Jalen Williams, J-Dub, as Lucas referred to him, uh, Paulo Bencaro, Walker Kessler, and Keegan Murray. Okay, I get that. Okay. Our lists are all going to be the same. I Paolo, Relatively the same. Paolo Bencaro, Walker Kessler, Benedict Matherin, J-Dub, and Keegan Murray. Because he's about to, I think he did just break the uh, record for threes in a season for rookies. Yeah, he's yeah, Keegan, like a starter Keegan, on the three seed in the West in playing yeah, good yeah, well, Keegan Murray's really good. Like, I'm, it, I didn't, if there was a Six spot available, I would have put Murray in that six spot for first team. I just, uh, I don't know. So that's who I swapped with Ivy. I mean, I guess I can get that because Ivy's been kind of inefficient this year. But I, I, uh, that's a hard one. Okay. For, for me, the 5 6 battle was really between Ivy and Matherin. And the, the thing with Matherin is he obviously started the season really strong. If we did this poll in like January, start of the new year, we probably all would have had him top three in rookie of the year voting. But he's been hurt a lot down the stretch here. His efficiency has fallen off. He hasn't been quite as good the second half of the season. So he, he just kind of fell off the map for me a little bit. He'd be a very deserving first team candidate. I, I wouldn't be upset with anyone having him there. But again, Murray's like a very important contributor on a top three seed. And I, I think he's being a bit underrated in these conversations. So I, I think he's a very deserving first team candidate. 
Oh, did you know uh, Key and Murray has a twin? Mm, yes, I did. I didn't. You know what? I, might I found that, that out in the NCAA tournament. He plays he, for he's Iowa. Probably going to be a first round pick this year. Huh. The more you know. The I, more you know. And I'm kind of disappointed there was not more disagreement on this as there were on previous ones. And Chris, you didn't really call out the uh, OKC Thunder as much as I thought you would when saying the that Jalen Williams. They, they, they also lost tonight, too. Just want to say that. They lost to the Phoenix Suns. Yeah, so did the Sixers. It happened. <laughs> Whoa. Sheesh. Wow. Wow. Okay. feel like I struck a nerve there, Jonathan. I'm not going to lie. feel like I struck. Did I strike a nerve there, Chris? I mean, well, this is a Sixers podcast, so that's a low blow. Yeah, that, that does feel kind of personal. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, I, I put both. Doncic are hunting down your thunder. I, I mentioned both Jalen Williams in, in this segment. That's all I needed out of this. Uh, some some J-Dub and some J-Will respect. So I'm content. Do you want to talk fantasy real quick, Chris? Yeah, no. Um, so thank you, everyone, for tuning in <laughs> to another episode of the Sixers Sense podcast. As always, please like, subscribe, and follow along. We are on Twitter and Facebook at Sixers Sense. You can listen at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Audible. And we will be back later in the week to talk more Sixers. Yeah, so go Sixers. Bye, everyone.